come to the table is a dream and an inspiration that my wife got actually on uh, September 25th. I was out of town and I had gone to spend some time with a friend in Dallas, Pastor Michael Miller, and Amber was home alone with the kids, which she doesn't usually like that. And uh, she doesn't like to be home alone. But in the middle of the night, she got a dream from the Lord. And there was a loud knock on the bathroom window. And she talks about that in the message from last week, which you can hear on our podcast. You can go on to the podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you have an Android, you can also go on to our website and hear that, that message. There's also a video where she talks about it, where, where we invited everybody to come to this series. That's on our Rock City Church Facebook page. That's also on my page and my wife's page, and many others have shared that. So I won't go into the details of that, but the, the series that we're in is much more than a series. It's a lifestyle. Coming to the table is a, a lifestyle, and we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about it the next several weeks, and we're going to live it for the rest of our lives. So today we're going to talk about several very important factors in order for us to celebrate life to the fullness. My wife talked about how Jesus was a partier. I had to get up and clarify how he partied, because when you say he was a partier, that has a lot of different connotations with a lot of different people. But Jesus loved to celebrate life, and he didn't live like the world lived, but he wasn't afraid to celebrate life to the fullness and even associate with those that were in this world and struggling with things that were contrary to his will. And so the Father has extended an invitation for all of us to come to the table and to come to his son's wedding. And that was Matthew 22 too. When my wife got woken up in the middle of the night, it was 222. And there are a lot of scriptures about 222, and there's a lot about 2222, particularly in relation to the key of David. Being able to open and close things. David had a supernatural key to open and close things all over the world and the nations, and especially with the heart of the Lord and bringing freedom to people's lives. And so Matthew 22.2 says that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And so the lifestyles that we live on earth is a preparation for what's coming in heaven. And the Lord wants us to begin to experience those things now. Okay, so if God, if the end goal was to just get you to heaven, you'd get born again, you'd give your life to Jesus, and then he'd just whack you and just take you home. But that's not the intent. The purpose and the intent is to develop kingdom understandings and patterns that are already in his heart in our lives now. And so, yes, there's a great wedding feast coming. Yes, there's a great banqueting table awaiting all of us. But the Lord wants us to dine now. The Lord wants us to fellowship and celebrate life together now. And that looks like something. And it doesn't look like the way the world looks like because we're part of the kingdom of God. If you've given your life to the Lord, then you suddenly step into a whole new paradigm and that's the kingdom of God. It's much different than the kingdom of this world. And so everyone's invited. Matthew twenty two ten says that the religious groups and the super busy bodies rejected the invitation. So the father instructed his servants to go out into the streets, the other versions say the highways and the byways, and gather anyone that they could find. 
It doesn't matter where you're at in your life stage. That's what that represents, both good and bad. It means anybody and everybody is invited. And in this parable, which is a, a natural understanding of something spiritual that's to come or how we're to live, in this parable, we see that everybody accepted because the banqueting hall was full, right? And so everyone's invited and the banquet hall was filled. Think about this church for a moment. Anybody and everybody can come to this church. Anybody. No matter your political affiliations, no matter how you identify yourself gender-wise, even if you cross-dress, and we've had cross-dressers come. We've had people come that wear women's clothes and they were in the lobby and somebody pulled me to the side and said, pastor, pastor, and they were upset. And they looked at me and they said, how could you allow that person? This really happened. Yeah. Caught me at the door yeah. and said, you let that person come in this church? I said, let me tell you the difference between that person and you. They wear their issue out for everybody to see. <laughs> she said, okay, pastor, I understand. I said, the difference is, is you hide yours for nobody to see. See, gee, the, the table is open for all. And you say, well, that person came not dressed properly. Everyone was invited and everybody, both good and bad, filled the hall. Make sure you understand that. And if you have a religious thing going on that says if somebody, if a gay couple comes in or a witch or a cross-dresser comes into this church, they need Jesus as much as anybody else does. And if you sneer and look down on them, we've got a problem. We're not coming to the table right and we're not dressed right. Okay? Now, Ultimately, people that are living contrary to God's will are going to have to change clothes. Because in order to come to the wedding properly, in order to come to the banqueting table properly, you can't come in your old rags. You have to literally allow the Lord through righteousness to change your clothes. Religious dysfunction says, I'm going to change your clothes. I will change you. That's religious dysfunction. But true love transforms and true love covers a multitude of sins. So if we love really, really well, and God's presence is here, and we teach right, and we love right, and we re reflect doctrine right, and we set a cultural norm that's healthy. See, because culture defines what's normal. Remember that. Culture defines what's normal. And in this church, normal is biblical standards and supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Waiting on him, welcoming him like we did today. Having a good cry session corporately. Not being afraid to allow you to have experiences. So you don't come to church and just go through the motions and leave the same way that you came. Otherwise, we've wasted our time. And I have done way too much church in my life. I'm not here for title or paycheck. Let's just make sure you know that. I'm here because I want to do life together with you and have experiences together and empower and raise up sons and daughters. And that takes a lifetime commitment. And so everyone is welcome and everyone's invited but in order for the banquet hall to be filled, what had to happen? First, everybody had to accept the invitation, and we see that. There was an acceptance. You first have to say yes. Then you have to receive the proper garments. Going into the wedding in rags and smelly and stinky is not appropriate. Okay, now not everybody in a sense has to dress the same, but this is a spiritual understanding that God clothes us in new garments clothes, robes of righteousness, and he takes away the old you and he transforms you into a new you. 
So the old you has to die. The old selfish, sinful, lying, cheating, all about me person has got to die. And Jesus transforms our lives and he makes that process enjoyable if we'll let him do it. Yes, there are things we have to let go that aren't always enjoyable. It was hard for me to let go of my old party lifestyle. All I knew, I swore I'd smoke pot till the day I died. I was a huge advocate for the legalization of marijuana. I was a member of normal National Organization of Reformation of Marijuana Laws. I could tell you every single thing about the benefits of pot and hemp and hemp seeds and hemp oil. I get it. But I made this decision contrary to what the Holy Spirit wanted for me to do. And at the end of the day, the, the ultimate decision of how you're going to live your life has to come from the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what the Bible says. So people ask me all the time, you know, if they live in Colorado or they live in states where it's legalized. You have to be convicted by the Holy Spirit to make a decision, not convicted by me. Come on. What does the Holy Spirit say? And the challenge is, is too many people don't want to really listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say. They want to listen to the God with the little g. You know who that is? Yourself. And at the end of the day, I thought I could smoke pot and be an on-fire, tongue-talking, demon-busting Christian. And some days I would get high and I'd storm the gates of hell. And the other days, I'd be hiding under the table with massive conviction. And at some point, I got tired of living under that conviction. It wasn't a man-made preaching thing. It was the Holy Spirit doing a work on the inside of me. Okay? And so you can't force your convictions on somebody else. You've got to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does best. Jesus called us to be fishers of men, not to clean them also. It's not my job to clean you. Remember that. That's religious dysfunction. It's my job to love you because love will transform Okay? So you got to receive the clothes and then you got to put them on. You got to put on the new you and then you got to show up. It's one thing to accept, but how many of you get irritated when you create a Facebook event or you invite somebody over to a dinner and they said they were going to come and they didn't show? And you cooked extra food and you prepared a place at the table and they didn't show up. Right? That's an irritation for all of us. So we make a commitment, then we show up. The Father wants us to do life together. And in order for us to do life the kingdom way, it requires us to not only accept and to be properly dressed, but it also requires us to have shared experiences. You know what we have this morning in worship? An experience. And if you were touched and you wept and you cried and you felt the presence of the Lord, something transforms inside of you and you say, I want more of that. And then you keep coming and we keep sharing experiences in life together. We have to have shared experiences together in our life. I can remember a lot of names. I mean, man, I can remember a lot of names. But you know how I really remember a name? When I have an experience with you. When I do something with you. When we have a conversation that I can relate to and we go, oh my gosh, we grew up in the same city or... We share the same birthday or, you know, when we have this connection, I go, yeah, I remember your name. There's a guy, Ignacio, that's been coming. Is he here? Right over here. See, I remembered your name. I only met him one time. But when I met him, he's the only other Ignacio that I've ever known. He goes by Iggy. And I had a friend named Iggy when I was growing up. And we talked about that. 
and I remembered his accent, and I remembered his fire, and I remembered his tattoo, and I made an association. And it was, it was weeks since I met him. And I, I mistakenly called him Sebastian because I had another friend named Sebastian. He said, no, no. Was, and I even told him I wouldn't forget it, but see, now I remember because I made an association, and I had an experience. And now we have experiences together. Did I prophesy over you too? Called him out, prophesied over him a few weeks ago. So I've, even in this context, I can get to know your name, I can know about you, and I can build a relationship with you, and I never actually broke bread with him. But we broke bread spiritually, okay? So shared experiences, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, and breaking bread together. Breaking bread together is critical. It's how the early church grew. It's how the early church built deep experiences and relationships together. And if we're not willing to open up our homes or go to other people's homes and spend time in relationship together, we're never going to build family and life and kingdom the way that God intends. Families that eat together at home an average of five times a week are far more likely, listen to these statistics. And by the way, only 40%, less than half of the American population will spend five nights a week eating dinner together at home. I'm talking about a home-cooked meal, okay? And sitting around the table together. And so the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse, called CASA, C-A-S-A, you can research this, says that when a family eats together, they develop better eating habits, much better nutrition, typically. Now, I'm not talking about you went to KFC, we did this as a kid. Got the big bucket of fried chicken. Went home. And I'm talking about home-cooked meals. Let me give you another example. I'm very extravagant about breakfast. It's my favorite meal of the day. And I have this breakfast that I like to cook that does not cost a lot of money. It's going to sound extravagant to you. But if I cook breakfast at home, which I do a lot pretty consistently, about, say, five days a week, I'll cook breakfast and I love to get unfiltered olive oil. You can buy it at H-E-B. I like unfiltered. I want as raw as raw can be. And then I saute some onions, and then I bought this big giant bag of peeled garlic from Sam's. I chop up the onions. I chop up the garlic. I break up fresh spinach, and then I saute it in the pan, and then I do my eggs over easy on top of that with fresh Ezekiel toast. Now, that is an awesome breakfast, but you know when I don't make breakfast at home, guess what we're eating? Breakfast tacos, yeah, my wife's favorite. She'll take a breakfast taco any day of the week over my home cook, but she doesn't like, you know, onions and garlic and all that and eggs. But my daughter does and my kids do. When we eat at home, we tend to make better things and better nutrition and better nutrients for our kids. Fam children and families tend to have less weight problems when they eat at home, typically. Because if you're cooking at home, you're typically not eating Whataburgers and fried foods and things like that. Children tend to do better ac academically in school when they eat consistently at home around a dinner table together. It's a known fact, and there's a ton of statistics, that there's a lower, much lower rate of being in poverty, alcohol, and drug addiction when families sit around the table and eat together at least five nights a week. Eating together also teaches and empowers families on every level, okay? So when you sit around the table consistently with your family as you're growing up or even after they're grown up, you're constantly reminded of cultural norms and you're teaching your children how to, you know, eat right and 
have table manners and there's this whole dynamic that takes place around the table when families eat together. It also establishes the roles of family, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. It identifies what we should do and how we should do it. It creates an opportunity for not only positioned roles, but conversations to take place that need to happen. And it brings unity and value to a person's life. When a dad, I'm not even gonna talk about fatherlessness statistics. If you wanna really know the greatest epidemic in society after isolation, it's fatherlessness. I believe <coughs> fatherlessness is the greatest, greatest issue of our day. And that fatherlessness leads to every single issue we're seeing from crime, from prison populations, drug, the opioid addictions we're seeing in our nation, all the things that we're seeing, I believe, stems from a root of fatherlessness. And ultimately, that points to fatherlessness with our Father in heaven. And the good thing about our Father in heaven is he can be the dad you never had. So you're looking at a guy that was raised without a dad. Okay? I had a stepfather that came into my life that I loved very much, but he didn't teach me kingdom. He didn't teach me the kingdom principles. And my blood father left my mother and I when I was one. And so I didn't really have a dad like our heavenly father. So the father became the dad that I never had. We eat healthier, we laugh more, we feel more satisfied and fulfilled, we learn, we grow, we feel valued, and it provides every opportunity to increase shared experiences when we do life together and eat around a table together. Here's some ways that we have shared, additional ways that we have shared experiences together. Of course, at home with your immediate family, at our homes where we invite other friends and family, which requires you to extend an invitation. So think about this. We're talking about coming to the table and there's an invitation to everybody to join into the bride and the body of Christ so we can be married together ultimately in the great wedding feast to come. There's a bigger wedding to come, guys. We're betrothed right now, okay? But we're talking about how in life this applies. So it's one thing to receive an invitation, but it's another thing to extend it. And if this church and the kingdom and the body of Christ is gonna become what, what God intends and wants, if we're gonna overcome church division and dysfunction, we're gonna to have to not only receive, but also extend. You know that I have been invited to be on so many pastors' things in this town. And you know who I go to eat with? People that I would not normally associate with. Traditionally, these are, these are pastors and ministers that have a completely opposite doctrines of me. But if I don't go spend time with them, how will I ever influence change? And how will I ever build relationship the way that God wants? We have to tear down denominational lines. We have to tear down doctrinal divisions. We have to tear down racial divides. We have to tear down social and economic divides. It's not based on your money, your status, the clothes you wear, the color of your skin. So we have to receive and extend invitations. And let me just say this about extending an invitation. Let me tell you the best way to extend an invitation, okay? Don't ask me, it's, it's, it's hard when you say, can you come? Because I don't know, and what if I can't, then I have to say no, and somebody gets their feelings hurt because it was so important to you. It's often better to say, hey, we're having this going on and we'd like to invite you to come, or hey, we're gonna have a dinner, we'd like to invite you to come if you can, no pressure. And you just keep extending the invitation. And that's why I tell some people who have wanted to spend time with me, keep asking me. Please don't back down. We're gonna have coffee at some point. 
We have a, uh, our, my friend Vince, he's not here this morning, but, but Vince has asked me to coffee so many times and he, it's always last minute because of his lifestyle and it's usually always early in the morning. And I've had to say no about 10 times, but I said, keep, let's keep trying because one of these days we're gonna have coffee together. And so nobody's getting their feelings hurt. So it's invitations that make life enjoyable and easy and fun without pressure. Like I don't put any pressure on any of you to come to this church ever. If you stop coming here and I see you out on the street, please do not apologize to me that you don't come here anymore. That I, people feel so guilty. It's funny how many families I've run into said, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. Pastor, I'm so sorry that you haven't seen us. Or, you know, we really have wanted to come back, but we've just been so busy. And I, they're trying to be nice and look like, like, look, come if you want to come. Understand the value of family and the importance of church, but take the pressure off. Nobody needs pressure. You come because you're hungry for life. You come because you want to be here. And that's why this church is growing, is because there's life here. And hopefully you came because you really wanted to be here this morning, right? right. All right. So shared experiences come from moments. Like we had a moment today. I love, we like, we like watching The Voice. We haven't watched it for a while, but you know, they talk about when the singer has their moment. You had your moment today, right? The moment. And so moments establish experiences. Remember that. They're in the small moments, in a worship experience around the table, going fishing together, moments. The next thing is that here at church, through training and equipping and having a good time, it establishes experiences. So I'm teaching you by experience. Come up here, let me lay hands on you. Let me get you filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray for you. Let's interpret a dream. Let's baptize you. Those are experiences. And remember, the kingdom of God is based on experiences. Christianity is experience-based, in case you forgot. Being born again, try to explain that, really. I mean, like, okay, the God of the universe and the Holy Spirit came and dwells inside of me, and now I died, and now I'm born again. I mean, it makes sense to us in church, but to people that don't know the Lord, that can sound so foreign. Or to our daughter. Or to our daughter. I explained it to my four-year-old the other day. Yeah, we're explaining it to our little kids. That's a fun process. And so other things that establish experiences, travel, right? How many of you like to travel? Okay, now just think straight travel vacation or going to see the world. Does that establish experiences? Now think about doing mission trips together where you're doing it with a purpose, where you're not really going to Cancun on a vacation, but calling it a mission trip, right? Where you're going to transform lives. See people experience. Cancun needs Jesus too. I know that'd be so hard. It'd be like miserable for some of you. Like, but let me tell you what I did. We went to Cancun. It was about one whole day before I hooked up with a local, the nicest guy in the world and his family. And Amber and I, and I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, that's so unsafe. But I'm spirit led. Next thing you know, I had my wife and I in his car and he took us to the best coffee shop where you can't get on the main hotel road, downtown pouring rosettes and latte art. And this guy was the nicest guy and I built a lifelong relationship and friendship with him. And he lives in Cancun. And we talked all about Jesus while I was there. That happened while we were on vacation, okay? So experiences, local outreach, events, families. Tonight is Station Church. 
If you've never been, you should go. Station Church is a wonderful experience because you go as a family, you go as a tribe, and you're ministering to those that are poor, those that are less fortunate, those that don't have, and you're serving them food. And you're going to see how tough other people can have it. And it puts things into perspective for your own life. So it creates experiences. Acts 2, 42 through 44. After the Holy Spirit came, what happened? The disciples continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear, so once they did that, once they became into unity, breaking bread together, and all of us having a like-minded doctrine, okay? It doesn't mean that, you know, we don't have maybe some differences in opinion, but from a biblical standpoint, we have a similar vision and understanding, and that I'm teaching this culture. As an apostolic mindset, I'm teaching us how to do life healthy and right, and what, you know, if I've got a group of people getting together for dinner and I've got some people that are preaching hellfire and brimstone and are dysfunctional and they don't know how to just have a good time and have some fun, that's not what I want. I want you to learn to do life and celebrate and show love and teach yes. people the beauty of Jesus and who he is by breaking bread and having a good time together in a healthy way. And so then fear came upon every soul and many Wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together. Everybody say together. Yes. Together is a powerful word and had all things in common. Now together, if you just do a word study in the New Testament of together, it is incredible how important being together is to the Lord. Acts 4.32, the multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. So God wants a body to be one heart and one soul, and that requires commitment. I'm gonna make mistakes. I pray that I never hurt you, but I might and I didn't intend to. And we make mistakes and we're all, in a sense, imperfect people being made perfect people, so there's a process to that. And so one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Can you imagine that? So everybody here has come to the place of saying everything I have belongs to the Lord and whatever he tells me to do with it, I'll do with it. <sighs> Powerful. You know, I, we live that way. We try to live our lives that way. So even in the midst of overwhelming odds financially, at the most recent conference we had, the Lord laid on my heart to give $3,000. In the midst, so what had happened was somebody gave me $3,000 for rebuilding in Port Aransas and the Lord said, I want you to give it away. And as soon as I gave it away, the floodgates started opening in other areas because I know the principles of the kingdom. It's not my own anyway. Come on. Yeah. Good. Jesus showed love by communing with his disciples. I'm gonna move fast and summarize the rest of my message because we took extra time in worship. So just listen close. Jesus showed love by communing with his, with his disciples and then together by feeding the multitudes. So he spent a lot of time, not just, Jesus wasn't always out ministering, by the way. He spent time on the mountain in prayer. He spent time with his disciples and then he spent time giving out to the people publicly, teaching and demonstrating. In one of his greatest and final acts of love prior to the cross, we have the Last Supper, which, by the way, I was thinking today, that shouldn't really be called the Last Supper because there's another one coming. Revelations 19 says that the... the the, the sound and the cry went out from the throne inviting all of the birds of the air flying around and the angels and the people 
to come, the supper's ready. Supper's ready, the dinner bell. If you ever hear me play that triangle, sometimes I go, because I'm like the dinner bell sounding. Come on, it's time to come to the table. And so this is a picture of what real communion and fellowship between each of us should look like continuously. Jesus then went on to say, after he broke bread with his disciples, and remember communion. We're not, we haven't even taught on communion. We haven't taught on the wedding of Cana. And we haven't even taught on the prodigal son. We're talking about inviting to the table. The Bible's full of examples of that, okay? But Jesus at communion would break bread and say, now, do this, what I'm doing with you. This is me giving myself to you. I want you to think about your everyday life. I'm gonna break, Jesus like, I'm gonna break myself open. I'm gonna pour out my life. Now I want you to do the same. Do this in remembrance of me. So, the, so communion, I hate to burst your bubble, isn't really a little wafer and a quick sip of a drink at the altar, though we do that because it puts us in that frame of mind and we remember what real communion is, is what Jesus did. And that's the whole understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which I really wanted to teach on today, but I might, I'll teach on that again about what real communion is. So Jesus would show what communion is at the table. And then, you know what he said to Peter when he restored Peter? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So if you're gonna feed the sheep and you're gonna really minister right, how are you gonna do it? You're gonna make an invitation. You're gonna do life together. You're gonna extend and receive. It goes both ways. It's mutual reciprocation. True kingdom life is always at the table, preparing, inviting, dressing, and serving. So what would keep you back from the table? Being too busy, being self-absorbed, and being isolated. One of the greatest epidemics in our society today is isolation. And so people sadly are consumed with their own life, they're too busy, or they're isolated due to shame, due to fear of getting hurt, not knowing how to do family right, or we get divided. Mark 3.25, if a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. And so if we allow division to come between us and the church allows division. You know, my greatest concern for our nation is a house divided against itself cannot stand. <clears throat> we're supposed to be one nation under God, indivisible, but we're not indivisible, sadly. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God represents what real unity should look like. And so we can't allow division to get in the way. What would divide us? Hurt, offenses, and not confessing our trespasses and sins to one another. Matthew 18, I call it the Matthew 18 principle. You can read it on your own. It says that if anybody sins against you, or if you've sinned against anybody, go to that person. Talk with them. Go first alone. Try to work it out. And if you can overcome it, you've won that person back. But if you can't, then go to the church in a sense. Go to another leader that can mediate. So we've raised up a group of healthy mediators that can hopefully help you. We have to help people overcome divisions. And so and James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another. And I'm not talking about a confessional booth. And I understand in the Catholic church they have that and many were raised with that, but you've got to understand that you don't actually have to do it that way. Jesus is now our high priest. The message of this story isn't that every little thing I've done, I have to tell somebody. That's not what it's about, to clear my conscience. I have a high priest now. Yeah. What that means is, is if I sin against Doug 
and I do something erroneously and Doug is either upset or hurt by it, Doug needs to come to me and say, hey, what you did, I'm not okay with. Or if I realize and get convicted by the Holy Spirit, I need to come to Doug and say, hey, will you forgive me? You know how many people have come to me and said, pastor, please forgive me. I've been harboring hurt and pain and bitterness towards you and your wife because you haven't spent any time with us. I'm like, listen, please don't get your heart offended. Understand life stage. Understand we have a three and four year old. Understand all the things that were going on. And even Jesus, you have to understand, invested into his core group of disciples and then empowered and delegated them to go out. There's only so many people you can spend time with and do life with. So you find those people that you love and you trust that you're your inner circle of friends. And by the way, that inner circle can't be based on social and economic or racial lines, okay? You gotta be led by the Holy Spirit and build relationships with all kinds of people. Now we'll wind up doing coffee and dinner with a lot of different people over the course of, of life. But we'll get our greatest experiences at the table of the Lord in this sanctuary, on a mission trip, on an outreach, with our kids together, in the parking lot, you know, at events and things like that. And then over time, like we're already planning a huge banquet here in December. All it is is a massive giant potluck, really. And we're gonna have, it's gonna be a Wednesday night. And I'm gonna do it, we're calling it Super Normal Normal Natural Christmas Story. We're doing a Super Normal Natural thing in December. And while everybody's eating, I'm gonna teach on dreams around the Christmas story. Yeah experiences, okay? So it's gonna require that we are willing to confess our sins to one another so that healing can come. Then forgiveness and devotion. You're gonna have to be quick to forgive. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. So there's a, this thing of being at peace, but also holiness that comes from Christ. Because there's a lot of different religions that say they're peaceful And there are other ways outside of Christ you can pursue peace. But without holiness, you don't get the real thing. Because the real thing is is that I really have a genuine, authentic care. I have phileo love with you. I've taught on different types of love. Some of you may not remember that or weren't here. But phileo, where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, is this, I care about you as a brother and sister and I'm benevolent towards you, okay? Okay. But then the real love that comes from God is agape love. And that is a love that has no hooks. It's unconditional. And it doesn't take into account whether you have a lot of money, what you look like. That kind of love has no hooks and doesn't consider whether you're valuable or not. You are valuable, but I'm not making a predetermination that says, okay, I'm gonna spend more (laughs) time with the person that has a lot of money versus the guy on the streets. And I understand the importance of raising up influences and leader, influencers and leadership. But what did Jesus do? <clears throat> you know, when the Hellenistic Jews came to see Jesus, which the Hellenistic Jews were some of the most wealthiest social class of the day, and they wanted to sit at the table with Jesus. And Jesus said, I said no. He declined that invitation because he wanted to say, look, I'm about to give my life, go to the cross and be lifted up. And anybody that wants to eat and dine with me, if they'll follow me where I am, there they'll be. Because what they were looking for was they were looking for a position or they were looking for status or they were looking to influence Jesus with their money and their wealth. 
I'm not moved by how much money you have and you don't have. That's why I have five or six millionaire friends because I don't really care. And they know it and they like that. Hebrews 12, 14, 15, did I say that? Pursue peace without which no, you're not even gonna see the Lord if you're not pursuing peace and, and holiness. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by this many become defiled. So what happens is one of the greatest things that'll keep you from the table is hurts and offenses and bitterness. Yeah. That's why I love the video with Felicia and Quinn because I don't wanna eat with you. I'm upset at you. I'm offended at you and I'm bitter at you. And, if you bec- and this is huge dynamic in families. Yeah. How many families are divided right now? Some of us here can have divided families. And you can have disagreements and, and division can happen, but being quick to forgive is critical. You have to pursue peace and holiness with everyone. Yeah. Okay? And so it's going to be hard to sit at the table if we're divided and offended and not quick to forgive. So we have to be forgiving lest many become defiled. Suddenly you have whole families divided and generations, kids raising up hurt and bitter and angry because of what they're seeing in their family. And then finally, you have to understand that you have need of a body. You have need of a body, the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says, speak the truth in love, grow up. Everybody say, grow up up. in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Okay, so Jesus is the head, we're the body, and we're joined together and knit together. How? What joins us and knits us together? By what we supply. Okay? So the hand has a purpose. Cut my hand off, and this hand is no longer knit together to my body, and it's not supplying anything for me. And the point of that is, is every one of you has something to give. There's the point is that all of you have something to give, regardless of where you're at in your life right now, regardless of where you're all invited to the table. And the main thing is to keep the body joined together because all of you have resources to supply. And I'm not just talking about your money. I'm talking about your gifts, your talents, who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what you look like. All of you have a purpose and a plan in the body of Christ and something that benefits me and everyone sitting around you. And on the flip side, you need everyone around you because the body is supplying each other. And finally, we have to be devoted to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine? Like how does sound doctrine fit into coming to the table in a life of celebration? Well, each man has a vision and is in need of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them, but the kingdom also has governmental structure and order. Remember, the early disciples were dedicated and devoted to the apostles' doctrine. So God sets up kingdom government structure that really comes down to mothering and fathering and building a family. Not hierarchical, you can't touch me, I'm the man of God, I know it all. No, if anything, I should be getting dirty and getting into the fight with everyone else. I can't take you where I'm not willing to go, but if you're not submitted in a healthy way to the leadership of a house... If I have rebellious children, when my child lies and doesn't tell the truth and says no, when I say do this and they say no, we've got a problem, right? And so the point I'm trying to make is you've got to think healthy. Even though a lot of churches and a lot of pastors may have done things to you or right or wrong, because a lot of times they've been right and you just got your feelings hurt, but right or wrong, we learn to forgive and we learn to understand 
that God cares about a family. And Rock City Church isn't the only one. We're part of a family all over the world and there are a lot of other great churches in this town. You find one and you commit to it and you stick with it because the only way we're gonna really do this thing right is if we stop becoming just Sunday morning attenders and we start to do life together. It's the only way it's gonna work. And that means inviting and receiving, inviting and receiving. And that's why we do a lot of things at this church to build community and family. If you never come to a women's meeting, you're, it's gonna be hard to really get into a relationship with the women in this church. And you build, if you never come to a men's meeting, it's gonna be hard for you to have men around you that'll really stand and fight with you in the trenches. If you never come to a prayer meeting, it's hard to learn about the culture of prayer that we have and who our mamas and papas are that love to pray. If you never come to regeneration, if you never come to fill in the blank, this is a busy church. But we do it not to just be busy, but to create family and to build life together. And so we have to be devoted to one another, which means committed. We have to be committed to his word. We have to be committed to the vision that God has set out. That's why we have membership in this church so that you can learn what the real vision is and be a part of that. And you can say, you know what? Yeah, that is my tribe because you know what? We're not gonna be everybody's tribe. That's why there's 300 churches in this city. That's why I want you to be called here. You, don't, you really shouldn't be picking your church. That's a hard thing to say in America. You should be led by the Holy Spirit of where you're to go because that way, when you answer the call, no matter what happens, you'll overcome it and press through it versus one little thing gets under your skin and you're gone. Church hopping is such a dysfunctional thing. Multiple pastors, like you, you're part of two churches, that's unhealthy because each pastor has a vision each pastor's creating a culture, and then what you get is you get a double-headed monster. Not that I'm a monster. Let me sit. Ref- <laughs> you know what I mean. So, in order to enjoy all the benefits, we have to come to the table. I, I have been invited to go on a snowboarding trip next year. And one of my good friends has said, look, I'm going to get the best house. I'm going to pay for it. I want to pay for your lift tickets. You just get your flight, get here, and I'm going to roll out the spread for you. Now, what if I say no? Here's another. What if I go to Colorado in my board shorts? I got to dress. I got to accept. I got to receive. I got to come with respect and honor, with kindness in my heart. I don't have any entitlement, but I'm, coming, I'm using a natural example of a spiritual understanding. You have been invited to the mountain of the Lord and it's a lot of fun and the table's already ready. But you gotta accept the invitation. Let's all stand.